Well, good morning, Fellowship Greenville. It is really good to be back with you, to see you today. Missed you last, last week because of all of the snow and everything. Um, and I was a little concerned, you know, with reliable Chris Justice, you know, who was saying it's going to snow again. I thought, oh, no, what if it ices over and we have the same thing going on this week? But we didn't, and it's great to be with you guys. Uh, by the way, if you are new to Fellowship Greenville, whether in person or online, we want to welcome you. We're glad that you've joined uh, with us and to worship with us today. And uh, if you're new on campus with us today, if you haven't already, drop by the First Time Guest Center out on the west end of the Commons. And there'll be some friendly people there that'll answer any questions you have because you might be wondering what is a fellowship Greenville Church all about. And they can help you with that. If you're checking us out online, you can go to fellowshipgreenville.org. And if you surf around a little bit, you'll find uh, probably an answer to most all of your questions there. One of the things that we want you to know about us is that most Sunday mornings we are teaching our way, studying our way through whole books of the Bible. And, uh, but right now, we're in a seven-part uh, series, a topical series, on what we call our core values, the core values of Fellowship Greenville, which are really the primary character qualities of uh, Jesus himself. And they're also the primary character qualities that Jesus wants to build into us as his followers. Because, you see, if we are to passionately pursue life and mission with Jesus— these seven values help us see more clearly what living as a follower of Jesus looks like daily uh, in, uh, and practically in our daily lives. And uh, we're, we're, we're putting these up every week because we want you to know what they are. And they're not hard to remember, but uh, the seven are enjoying God, loving others. That's kind of a pair. And then understanding Scripture and depending on the Spirit. That's kind of a pair. And then living in integrity and magnifying grace, that's a pair, and it all adds up to advancing the gospel in our world today. And again, we see all of these character qualities in Jesus, and if we're to grow to be more and more like him, these are areas that we need to be growing in as well. Now, by the way, this is the third time that we have uh, done a series on our core values. The first time was back in 2006. The second was in, in 2012. And when we first came up with these core values, pastor at the time, Brian Onkin, prepared some papers on each one of these core values, and much of what he wrote has uh, showed up in our new member uh, class teaching, as well in all, as in all kinds of different brochures we've put together over the years, and so uh, the scripture verses and some of the outline for what I'm going to be walking you through today in this message has come from the good work that he did over a decade ago. Now, I said this in an earlier message, uh, and I want to repeat it again. We're not following the order of the seven core values that I just put up on the screen. And one of the things that means is this morning, I'm going to be taking that fifth core value, magnif uh, li living in integrity. I better not be preaching on magnifying grace because I'm not, I don't have that, have that prepared. But anyway, uh, living in integrity. And we're going to dig into this, living in integrity. Now, if someone were to ask you to define integrity, what would you say? Uh, maybe honesty, uh, good character, uh, being a moral person, doing, a right, doing the right thing when nobody's looking, uh, feeling good about what you do. How would you define integrity? And this is really important because you need to be able to clearly define integrity because if you can't define it, 
it's gonna be really hard for us to live. Now, a while back I heard a story that gives us a picture of what integrity is and what it looks like when it's missing. Story, this is a story about a pastor who's driving home uh, from church and he's in a hurry and he's tailgating the car in front of him. And I mean, this car was going way too slow for him. And by the way, this is not about me, even though I talk about me in traffic a lot. But anyway, at a yellow light, this car in front of him slams on the brakes and this pastor goes ballistic and he hits the horn and he makes a, a non-faith one-way gesture and uh, while he's ranting and raving, he has this little tap on his, on his window and he looks up and he sees a policeman. And the policeman invites the pastor out of his car, puts him into his uh, car and takes him for a ride down to the police station where he searched and fingerprinted and put in a cell. But after a couple of hours, this is not about me, okay? I'm just telling you, it didn't happen to me. This is just a story. But anyway, after a couple of hours, they let him out, and the arresting officer gives him his personal effects, and he says, hey, I'm very sorry for the mistake. I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn and using bad gestures and bad language, and I noticed the what would Jesus do bumper sticker on your car and the Choose Life license plate uh, holder, and the Follow Me to Sunday School window sign, and the Christian fish emblem on your trunk, so I naturally assumed you had stolen this car. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, it's possible to plaster the outside of my life with stickers and emblems and verses that say the right things, but what really drives my life is my integrity because sooner or later the light will change and my true character will be revealed. Now, I like that story not only because it's uh, very convicting, but it also illustrates what integrity is all about. The word integrity is related to the word integer, which means whole, complete, undivided. And when we say that a person has integrity, uh, we, we mean that she, she is what she says she is. There's no pretense, there's no put on, there's no show, or she does what she says she will do. There's no duplicity or, or deceit. There's a consistency, a congruency, an integration of belief and action, of unity, of word and deed, um, he's the same person in private that he is in public. His behavior matches his beliefs. His walk matches his talk. And for those of you that can listen to a sermon and think at the same time, I know that you're asking the question in your mind, so what's the difference between good character and integrity? And I'm glad you asked that question. Good character is made up of uh, several different character qualities. And I went online and I found business people who talked about the five essentials of good character, the six essentials, seven essentials, 10, 15, 25 uh, essentials of good character. Integrity was in every single list. So I put together my own list of uh, 15 there. And uh, you notice, though, that I've made integrity the most important one in the list, and that's because, as I see it, integrity is the engine of good character. Uh, it, integrity is the engine of good character it, because it's one thing to say you believe that all these character qualities are important, but it's another thing to actually live them out. 
So integrity is the outliving of the character qualities that we say we value. It's the outliving of our beliefs and values. Now, you see, every one of us has a, an inner self that's reflected in our outward behavior. We have uh, an internal script that we go by. In fact, there's lots of things that have gone into forming you to be the person you are at this very moment. Things like your DNA, uh, your upbringing, your education, the beliefs and values that have come out of your background, the choices you've made and the consequences of those choices. Your total life experiences up until now have shaped you and formed you to be who you are and what you value right now. And when there is congruence between what we say we value and what we actually do, that's what we call integrity. Now, I like how Brian Onkin put it in his paper on living integrity. He says that someone who is living in integrity demonstrates coherence and consistency between what he or she says is true and how he or she is acting. The words resonate and ring true with the living. To live in integrity doesn't mean that we've reached a stage of sinless perfection, but it does mean that we're attempting to live, depending on the Spirit's help and provision, consistent with the truth we affirm. And this would be evident in things like genuine transparency with others and honest accountability and a private life that lines up with the public talk. Now, as followers of Jesus, we're called to grow in Christ-like character, which again, that's what we refer to when we refer to our seven core values. But of course, Christ-like character would, would entail much more than that. I mean, there's another great list uh, of the seven character quality, or the nine character qualities that are found in Galatians chapter five when we come to the fruit of the spirit. All of these are qualities we find in Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. For the followers of Jesus, good character means Christ-like character and living in integrity means living out Christ-like character in our daily lives. Now, when you think about it from a purely practical standpoint, it makes sense that living integrity would be one of our core values because what is the number one excuse that non-religious people or people outside the church give for not wanting anything to do with the church today? I mean, isn't it true that they say, I don't want anything to do with Christians because those Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, right? And why do they say that? Because sadly, what they've seen in people who claim to follow Christ is inconsistency between what they say they believe and what they, what they do, saying one thing, doing another. That's hypocrisy, and hypocrisy is the antonym of integrity. It's the opposite of integrity. And if we want to have a positive influence in our world today, that has to change. People need to see Christ followers living out what they say they believe. But, as we said, the way that we came up with these seven core values is not simply for some practical reason. No, these seven values show up over and over in the life of Jesus himself. Now, when you read about the life of Jesus, you find that there was something very attractive about him because people who were nothing like him liked him. And they liked being around him. 
very non-religious people invited him into their homes to get to know him better. And I think one of the reasons for that was there was a realness about Jesus that made him approachable and genuine. And it's interesting, no one ever criticized Jesus for being a hypocrite. And in a world full of phonies and put-ons and pretense, Jesus was like this light shining in darkness. He was a man of integrity. He lived what he affirmed to be true. And I want to show you that. So uh, take your Bible, paper or digital, and find your way to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. At this point in Jesus' ministry, the religious leaders are trying to find some way to trip Jesus up. They're jealous of the fact that so many people are following him. They're bothered by how Jesus' teaching does not line up with their interpretations of the law of Moses and their religious traditions. And even though they've seen Jesus work amazing miracles... And, and of healing and deliverance, they can't make what Jesus says and does square with what they believe about God. In fact, uh, in the earlier part of the chapter, we read a story about how the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman to Jesus who they say was caught in the very act of adultery. They wanted to see if Jesus will carry out the letter of the law of Moses, which meant that the woman needed to be stoned to death. But Jesus turns it back on those religious leaders and he says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, they all drop their rocks and they walk away. And then Jesus looks at the woman and he says, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Now, by the way, I know this for you Bible scholars and everything, I know this is a debated passage. I know it's not in the oldest manuscripts, but I do see this as being a part of the canon of inspired scripture, and so I accept it as being true about Jesus. It's a true story about Jesus, whether it's in the oldest manuscripts or not. Anyway, I'm sure that the religious leaders were embarrassed and humiliated, and they want to get rid of Jesus. They want him dead, and the rest of this chapter records this argument going on between Jesus and these religious leaders, and it's in the middle of this argument that Jesus affirms his integrity in a profound way. Look at verse 28. Verse 28. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, in other words, when you nail me to a cross, you will know that I am he and I do nothing on my own, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me and he hasn't left me alone. Now here it is. He says, For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I always do the things that are pleasing. That is an amazing statement. I mean, Jesus makes two claims. First, he says, I always speak the things the Father has taught me, the Father tells me to say. And second, he says, I always do the things that please the Father. Always. He always and only said and did the things that the Father wanted him to speak and do. Now, that is integrity. That is consistency in what he believed would please God. And he actually did it. Now, it's one thing to make that claim, but it's quite another to back it up. So later on in the chapter, Jesus invites the people who are watching his life and ministry to point out any inconsistency they might have observed in him. 
Look down in uh, verse 46. Jesus says, which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever's of God hears the words of God, and the reason you don't hear what I'm telling you is because you're not of God. Now, this blows my mind. Jesus, in that first line there in verse 46, Jesus opens himself up for criticism. This is an open invitation for the religious leaders to look at his life, what he said, what he's done, and point out any sin they find in him. In other words, he's saying, tell me where I've sinned. Just tell me where, point out any inconsistency in me. Go ahead and take your best shot. And they can't come up with a single thing. The best they can do, and this, this just feels like kids on a playground, the best they can do is, is verse 48. They say, well, 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 you're a demon-possessed Samaritan. I mean, so they can't find anything, so they call him names. The point is, Jesus gives us a walking definition of integrity. Jesus lived what he believed, and nobody could cast a stone at him. Let me say it again. Integrity is nothing less than a reflection of the character of Jesus himself. Integrity is nothing less than a reflection of the character of Jesus himself. <clears throat> now, one of the things you notice in this argument going on between Jesus and these religious leaders, especially if you read the whole chapter, He's not the gentle Jesus, meek and mild that you're always hearing about. I mean, he really goes after these guys with a passion. And that's because Jesus' strongest words were aimed at religious people who lacked integrity. Religious people who were living hypocritically. So turn back with me to Matthew chapter 23, Matthew 23, and let me show you how Jesus goes after hypocrisy with a vengeance. Matthew 23 is an entire chapter where Jesus pronounces judgment on the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. Now I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, and if you want, it might, and I'm going to make a few edits here and there uh, so it lines up with my uh, CFB version. But um, uh, it might be good just to listen, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna dip in and dip out and read portions of this. Chapter 23, verse one. <clears throat> then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside and they wear robes with extra long tassels. In other words, they've got Christian bumper, or religious bumper stickers on their donkeys. You know, and they, and they love to sit at the head table at the banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. And they love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces, they want everybody to say, hey, Rabbi, how you doing today? So in other words, they do what they do for the wrong reasons. They do what they do for show, to look good on the outside. Look down in verse 13. Woe to you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. In other words, their hypocrisy turns people away from God. And so he says, you're, you're keeping these people away from God, 
and you're not going you're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven yourself Verse uh, 23, he says, Woe to you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are careful, uh, you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, like justice and mercy and faith. Now, here's the root problem, verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're filthy and full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. He's talking about a metaphor, about their hearts being out of sync with God. Verse 27, woe to you teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but inside you're full of dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people. Inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, these are strong words. I mean, it makes you wonder why we don't think more about this whole issue of integrity and hypocrisy. It makes you wonder how easy it is for churches to get all caught up in programs and theological debates and political issues and somehow excuse ourselves from taking a good hard look at the integrity deficit that plagues us. It makes you wonder because Jesus is dead serious about saying you believe what God says, but living, but not living in line with it. And Jesus also makes it clear that his friends and followers cannot say one thing and live another and experience the kind of abundant life that he wants for them. Now turn forward to Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six. We're looking at three gospels this morning where Jesus talks about living in integrity. Uh, Luke chapter six, verse 46, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house, it couldn't shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it collapsed and the ruin of the house was great. You see, it, Jesus calls us to a consistency between what we say and how we live. And in these verses, he makes it clear that if what we believe is not lived out, then we don't have a solid foundation upon which to build life. It's pretty serious stuff. But here's the problem. When it comes to talking about having integrity and being a person of integrity, integrity is what I want everybody I live with and everybody I work with and everybody I do business with to have but integrity is not something that I'm always willing to pay the price to have for myself. Let me say that again a little bit differently. Integrity is what you want in everybody you interact with to have, but it's not always something you're willing to pay the price to have for yourself. In fact, if I'm real honest, your lack of integrity bothers me a whole lot more than my lack of integrity. I mean, isn't that true that you're far more bothered about other people's lack of integrity than your own? 
I'm, and you know where I see this most? I see this most in um, political news and social media. And I can get caught up in all of that just like you. But basically, we become experts in pointing out the flaws in someone else's character and not paying attention, not paying enough attention to the flaws in our own character. And it's all very entertaining to do that. I mean, never once have I listened to 30 or 40 minutes uh, of, a, of the news where they're raking someone over the coals for not being a good leader or for lying to the American public, saying one thing and, and doing something else, or for leading a double life. Never once have I heard any news commentator deal with the log in their own integrity. And, and you say, well, but that's not what it's about. I understand that. I understand that. It's not really what the news is all about. But the thing is, I can be extremely upset and highly entertained by pointing out the character flaws of others, but it doesn't do one thing to cause me to question the inconsistencies in my own character. You see, integrity is something we all value. We expect it from others, and we're all disappointed when the people we love or do business with exhibit some lack of integrity. We all value integrity, but Again, the problem is we, uh, we value it more highly in other people than we do ourselves. Your lack of consistency motivates me to do something about you. But my lack of consistency rarely motivates me to do anything about me. Like when I had young kids, I was very motivated to stomp out any character flaws that I saw in them. As a husband, I want my wife to be a woman of character. On the job, I want the people I work with and do business with uh, to have integrity. But when it comes to me, I can always find ways to justify my lack of integrity in some areas. It's very easy for me to blame a shortcoming of mine on someone or something other than me. Now, now, now think, why is that? I mean, why is it that we value integrity in other people more than we do in ourselves? And here's the reason. In our society, we have prioritized two things over integrity. I mean, nobody's against integrity. Nobody thinks we shouldn't be men and women of integrity. Nobody thinks it's okay to say one thing and do another. But in our society, we've opted to prioritize achievement and fulfillment over integrity. That is, what you do, achievement, is more important than who you are, and so, and so whatever you have to do to feel good, fulfillment, that can easily become the number one priority in your life. Let me say that one more time. What you do, achievement, is more important than who you are, and so whatever you have to do to feel good about yourself, fulfillment, that thing can easily become the number one priority in your life and my life. And so when it comes to our priorities, yeah, 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 we believe integrity is important, but in our daily lives, we prioritize achievement over integrity, fulfillment over integrity, and that means that what you do and how you feel are more important than who you are. What's going on inside, yes, it, we'll all agree, it is important, but what's more important is what you're able to accomplish that makes you look good to others so you feel good about yourself. And to make, this, make all of this even worse, we live in a society that rewards accomplishment 
at the expense of integrity. And so consequently, when you come to a, uh, a defining moment in your life, when you come to a crossroads, a point in your life where you have to choose between uh, achievement and integrity, where in order to uh, accomplish what I want to accomplish, in order to have what I really want to have so that I feel good about myself, sadly, most of us tend to opt for what we want or what I think I have to have over being a person of integrity. And we will sacrifice our integrity to get what we want in order to feel good about ourselves. And so when that happens, now listen, when that happens, when, when achievement and fulfillment take precedence over integrity, a brand new ethic surfaces in our lives and in our families and in our society, a brand new ethic, listen, that says right is defined by what I want. Right is defined by what I think I have to have to be happy. Right is defined by acquiring certain things, achieving certain things, feeling a certain way, presenting myself in a certain way. Right is defined by whatever moves me along in the direction I think I need to go. And wrong is defined by whatever gets in my way. Whatever prevents me from achieving what I want to achieve. And integrity becomes about you feeling good about what you do, whether it's right or wrong in God's eyes. Like in college, the goal, the goal in college is what? It's graduation. Achievement is graduation. So if you need to cheat here and there, I mean, what's the big deal? If you need to cheat here and there, then that's the right thing to do, to graduate. And so, so and how do we justify it? We tell ourselves the lie, I'm never gonna use this anyway. And that's why at work, people will lie and cheat and steal and they, to get ahead and they don't think anything about it. Why? Because achievement, personal advancement is their number one priority. And when achievement and personal fulfillment take precedence over integrity, then wrong is right and right is wrong. Wrong is right and right is wrong. Now the prophet Isaiah called out God's people for this very thing. In Isaiah chapter five, we read, Isaiah says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. These men who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Now, doesn't that sound like where we live today? It does to me, but remember, Isaiah is talking about God's people. God's people who have been influenced by people who don't know God. And just like them, they were doing what was right in their eyes, which was wrong in God's eyes. Again, all this intersects in our daily lives. Like most of us in this room would say, uh, if you're married, that, you're, that your marry, marriage or your family is the, is the most important thing outside of your walk with God. But pressures at work 
and the weight of commitments and obligations can push us to say one thing but live another, especially if you prioritize achievement over integrity. Most of us would say that honesty is important, but when confronted with uh, closing a deal or getting a better deal, or when confronted with saving money or making money, we can say one thing and do another if the goal, the ultimate core value, is achieving and advancing and inquiring more and more stuff. Every single one of us would say that being faithful to your vows and promises is important, but when things don't go as well as you expect, when someone hurts you or disappoints you, it's easy to say one thing and, and, and do another. And that's one of the reasons that I think the divorce rate is the, in the church is not much different than in the culture. And I'm not saying that there aren't uh, biblical reasons for divorce. I'm just talking about somebody who just decides, I don't want this anymore. Most of us would say that purity is important, but when you're by yourself, like when it's just you uh, and the computer, when it's just you and the TV, when it's just you and, and the magazine, when it's just you and that person at work that really listens to you and cares about your problems, when you think, well, but I'll lose this guy if I say no, it's easy. If you're thinking that way, it's easy to say you believe one thing but do another, especially if you prioritize fulfillment over integrity. But going back to what Jesus says there in Luke 6, Jesus is saying that you cannot say one thing and do another and enjoy the life with God that he's made possible. You, you can't make it through the storms of life with your faith intact. In fact, our inconsistencies create a lot of our storms. Proverbs 11.3 puts it this way, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Duplicity, saying one thing, doing another. James says the same thing in James 1. He says a double-minded person, double-minded person, is unstable in all their ways, and that kind of person ought not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. The point is, Jesus is saying, you can't say one thing and do another and have a solid foundation to your life. You cannot ignore what Jesus says and do whatever you want and end up making a better life for yourself. Now, there is repentance and there is forgiveness and there is grace. But Jesus is making a point to those of us before we get to one of those crossroad events. And here's how I hear it. Here's how I hear it in the church. Here's how Christians say it. But doesn't God want me happy? Now, it, well, think about that. Doesn't God want me happy? In other words, isn't God's number one priority for my life, my personal happiness and fulfillment? I mean, I know what the Bible says. I know I shouldn't leave. I know I, I should stay in this marriage. Uh, I know I sh should wait till marriage. I know, I know, I know, but I'm miserable. I am miserable. Doesn't God want me happy? In other words, yeah, I know character and integrity are important, but isn't my happiness more important to God than just me doing the right thing, especially like this time? I mean, aren't there exceptions? No, not really. There's not any exceptions except, I mean, not except, but it, it seems like there should be exceptions, but there are no loopholes. Now, the, the problem is, we have a hard time convincing ourselves that something is wrong if it feels good because feeling good feels right. 
right? Let me, let me put that on the screen. We have a hard time convincing ourselves that something is wrong when it feels so good because feeling good feels right. And that kind of thinking is what brings people to a point where they say, well, I know it's not right, but I, I, I just can't stay in this marriage any longer. I know it's not right, but looking at a few pictures or a few videos isn't going to hurt anybody. I know it's not right, but telling a little white lie this time, that'll actually work out best for me this time. I know it's not right, but I'll lose this guy if I give in. I'll lose this gal if I give in. But, but listen, we cannot ignore what Jesus says and what he says brings life and end up with a better life. We can't ignore what Jesus says brings life and end up with a, a better life. So why do we believe that living in integrity means we automatically lose? Why do we think that living in integrity means we, we're just gonna be miserable? It's like there's only two options. That is, I can do what God wants me to and I'll be miserable. I can choose integrity and be miserable or I can choose achievement and fulfillment and be happy. And that's just a lie. Out of the, it's out of the pit of hell. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three. It's all the way back to the fall. Because what was the lie that Satan was saying to Eve? Yeah, yeah, you got a lot of things to eat. You got a lot of fruit trees here you can pick from. But this one. Now, you can, you can ignore this one and just be miserable. But you can eat of this tree and be happy. And that's what happened. That's exactly what happens. We think that we only have two choices, to follow God and be miserable, or to ignore God and be happy, which is a lie. Now, one of the most amazing stories that I have ever heard, ever witnessed, and I, I watched it recently again on YouTube, and you can find this out. It, it is an amazing story. How many of you like to watch tennis? Any, any tennis people in here? Yeah, a few. Yeah, around. Okay, well, way back in uh, May 2005 at the Italian Open, Fernando Verdasco of Spain was serving to America's top player, Andy Roddick. And Verdasco had lost his first set and was down 5-3, he was love 40, meaning this is triple match point, meaning Roddick only needed to get one more point to win the game, win the set, and win the match. Verdasco uh, double faulted on his first serve, and his second serve he hit deep into the box, the judge in the chair, the chair umpire, called the ball out, meaning that Roddick had won the match. And you can see him. He's walking from the back, and he's walking up like he's going to go to the net. The crowd is cheering. He walks up to the line, and he points to the line, and he tells the chair umpire it was in. It had nicked the line. And so... His call overruled the umpire's call. And Verdasco, he, he then fought back, won the serve, won the set, 
and won the match. Now, you probably never heard anything about that. It's, it's barely, it barely rated a mention in the American press, and yet Roddick, he um, risked and lost tens of thousands of dollars in a tournament where he was seated to be first because of his integrity. Roddick, by the way, would not have been criticized if he simply accepted the umpire's call. I mean, the ethic in modern big-time sport is that it's up to the officials to call the game and for players merely to abide by their decisions. Even if they know that the umpire was wrong, the call still stands. So in one moment with victory, his, well, no, no, not for the taking, uh, his victory was given. It was assumed. Andy Roddick went against the way of the world and simply, instinctive, instinctively for him, he did what was right. And Andy Roddick lost that day. He lost the point. He lost the set. He lost the match. Plus, he lost tens of thousands of dollars in prize money that he would have earned from winning the tournament. But... For Roddick, he would have lost. Because for him, integrity meant doing what was right, even at a great personal cost. Yeah, he lost a lot that day. But for him, he won where it mattered most. And that was in his heart. So how do we grow in living in integrity? Because I've thought a lot about that. Like, what would you do if you were playing in this match and you had really just won the match? But you look at that line, and in your mind, you know that ball ticked the line. Man, how do we grow to be that kind of person, which is really a Jesus kind of person? It's really simple. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit to give you the resolve and the courage to live and integrity. In other words, that's just, you're asking the Holy Spirit to give you the resolve and the courage to live like Jesus. To live as a reflection of the character of Jesus. That's what we're saying. Now, number two is, when you fail, and you will fail, and I know this because I'm an expert at it, but when you fail, confess it, and express your gratitude for the forgiving grace of the gospel, knowing that because of the cross, your relationship with God has not been put into jeopardy. Because no sin, no failure, no falling short ever puts you at risk of losing God's love. So when you fail, confess it, thank God for his grace, and then repeat number one. And the Christian life is just praying number one, Pray to number two, back to number one, number two. And hopefully over time, we grow to be more and more like Jesus, which means we're more and more consistent to live out what we say we believe and value. Would you bow with me in prayer? Uh, in these core value messages, we're leaving some time at the end for you to tune your ear to the prompting of the Spirit so the question is, is there something in your life, some area of your life 
where as you've been listening to what Jesus has said in these passages today, is there something that the Holy Spirit has put his finger on? Some inconsistency, some area of your life where, ha- where you haven't been living out what you say you believe. Some area you need to confess some area where you need more desire and more resolve and more courage, an area you need God's help with. Honesty, purity, faithfulness, patience, self-control, Sacrificing your integrity to get ahead. Sacrificing your integrity for personal fulfillment. Really resist trying to think about somebody else. In this moment, it's just you and God. Is the Holy Spirit prompting you to pay attention to something in your character that's inconsistent with Jesus? If so, confess it. Admit it. And ask God's help to change. Holy Spirit, give to me and all who hear your word this day greater desire and resolve to live in integrity, to live out what we say we believe. Convict and challenge and encourage us to build our lives on the solid foundation of your word. Holy Spirit, may we be doers of your word and not just hearers. And make for your church, for us, living integrity, not just to be something we say we value, make it to be our way of life. And I ask this for the greater fame of Jesus' name, amen.